0: You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello and welcome to Luke's English Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you again. And I'm for some reason speaking in this kind of way. I don't really know what this intonation or rhythm pattern is is that I'm using it's something related to being like a kind of presenter character. I think that on the news or on the radio they sometimes speak like this. That's why I'm doing it. It could also be because I've had a little bit too much coffee and that's made me do because I don't normally drink coffee. You see, I normally drink tea. And so if I have a bit too much coffee, it kind of makes me start to speak as if I'm a TV presenter on a very serious television program. But I'm not going to keep speaking like that. I'm going to be normal. Okay, so this is me being normal now. Um, Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to tell you all about my first impressions of life in Paris. Um, Some of this episode is transcribed, you'll be glad to know you can read a transcript to some of this. Um, if you go to the website, which is teacherluke.podomatic.com, you can find the transcript there. You can read it if you want to, you can sort of read it and listen to me while, uh, you can sort of read it while you're listening to me. That might help. You can just read it if you want to, if you don't, if you can't stand the sound of my voice anymore, then you can just read it or, uh, you can just ignore the transcript completely and just listen. It's up to you. It's your choice. I'm just giving you a little bit of extra freedom to decide how you want to live your life and how you want to uh, deal with another episode of Luke's English Podcast. So some of this is transcribed, some of it's not. You'll, you'll hear me kind of speaking off the top of my head, as it were. Um, I'm now in Paris. I'm sitting in uh, the apartment in which I'm living here in, in Paris, and it's uh, it's very exciting and very new experience for me. So I'm going to be telling you all about it in this episode. So um, the transcript, which uh, you'll find on the website, starts here. So if you're wondering when the transcript is going to begin, it starts now. Okay. so I recently moved to Paris and I've been here for about six weeks. This episode is all about my first impressions and experiences of living here. It's about my experience of moving to Paris, but it's also about the experience of living in another culture. So in many ways, this is a cross-cultural case study. And if the expression cross-cultural case study sounds a bit boring, you could always think of this episode as a bit like Mr Bean in Paris or something, in which I am Mr Bean, a kind of bumbling, foolish English man making loads of mistakes and generally making a fool of himself. That might help keep it amusing. Just keep in mind the image of me getting everything wrong in a famous European capital city. It could be a kind of crap fish-out-of-water type movie. You know, like, um, he was a boy, she was a girl, he was English, she was French, and the city was Paris. When Luke Thompson moved to Europe to be with the girl he loved, he got just a little more than he bargained for. You know, that's a kind of movie trailer for my life in Paris i suppose anyway if you've if you've ever lived in another country you might be able to relate to my experiences of being a fish out of water if you're thinking of moving to another country you may be able to learn something about what it's like to be out of your comfort zone if you're from Paris or France you might like to know what it's like for an english person to live in your city and if you've never been to paris but you've always wondered what it's really like then let me share my experiences with you. You may have noticed already that this episode contains a lot of vocabulary and expressions relating to cross-cultural experiences. You can read most of what I'm saying by visiting my website, which is http colon forward slash forward slash teacher com or http colon forward slash forward slash teacher com. I must say at the beginning that I only wish to express my own experiences of living in Paris for just a few weeks. If you are Parisian, French or know a lot about Paris or France, you might feel that I haven't covered the whole picture yet. I don't consider myself to be an expert on Parisian life by any means. In fact, I feel like there's so much that I don't know. So don't be offended if I've got the wrong end of the stick and misunderstood certain things about life here in Paris. Let me also say that I haven't completely left London behind. The two cities are very close. Uh, On the Eurostar, which is a train that connects the two cities, it goes under the sea, yes, under the actual sea, it's really easy to travel between London and Paris in just a couple of hours. Some people say that London is a Paris suburb or vice versa. So I still maintain my connection with London and with Britain. I'll be regularly going back to London to see my friends and my family to catch up on what's going on in London and to keep in touch with my work colleagues at the London School of English. So this is not going to become Luke's French podcast, don't worry. It's still very much Luke's English podcast. In fact, moving to France makes me even more aware of my London roots. I'm an Englishman at heart. Living in France gives me more perspective on this and on the culture of the English language. And hopefully, depending on how things go, here in France, I will have more time to devote to doing episodes of the podcast that focus on the English language, culture, and all the other things that you've come to expect from Luke's English podcast. So let me tell you what you're going to hear in this particular episode. First, I'm going to talk a bit about cross-cultural awareness, just to provide a bit of context to the whole thing. Then, in no particular order, I'll go through my general experiences of life in Paris, what I've found different or similar to life in London, what I've found difficult or challenging, and what I've found enjoyable, inspiring, and funny about life here so far. Please leave your comments if you want to share. And as ever, you can always send me a donation to show that you care if you fancy it. It's completely up to you to decide how much you wish to donate from just one pound, one dollar or one euro. To be honest, I hope you choose the one pound because, well, it's it's worth a bit more because of exchange rates. So if you have to choose, then, you know, go for one pound maybe. Well, from like one pound, dollar or euro to a hundred thousand billion trillion pounds if that's what you think is appropriate. I am, of course, aware that a hundred thousand billion trillion pounds which is I think one zero 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 I think that is actually more money than there is actually in the world but you know maybe Roman Abramovich listens to this or something you never know you know you can dream um Anyway, it's, it's, it's really easy to, to donate. Um, you can just click on a donate button on my website and it's really easy to make a donation really safely using PayPal. Okay, that's it. The begging bit is over. Um, I don't really do any language teaching in this episode, although I will be doing uh, more stuff in the future, getting back to basics and doing more language-oriented episodes with grammar, vocabulary, that kind of thing. Right. I realise I've been doing a lot of just sort of random talking into the microphone recently, uh, but you can look forward to episodes in which I deal with grammar and vocab and the real nuts and bolts of the English language coming soon. However, I've managed to write some pretty detailed notes for this episode and a transcript of a lot of what I'm saying. I don't always do that, but this time I have. So, like I said before, do check out teacherluke.podomatic.com and you can read a lot of this. And that can really help you to work out and learn a lot of the English that I'm using. So first, a bit of cross, a bit about cross-cultural awareness. So whatever your situation, I think it's always good to have some sense of perspective about the place that you live in. Remember, you may think that the way of life that you're used to is the normal way, that your way of life is correct and another way of life is wrong. That's a pretty basic way to put it, but I think that I think um, we all think this to a certain extent. We take for granted many of the things that we. Uh, I can't read my own writing today. Okay, I'm not going to edit because this is Luke's English podcast, and I, you know, I like to keep it real. So even though I just can't even read what I've written here, I don't care. I'm just uh, I'm going to keep going, and I'm not going to edit this bit out just to show you that it's still the real Luke's English podcast here. So that's a pretty basic way to put it, but I think we all think this to a certain extent. We take for granted many things about the way we live. It could just be little things like the way we dress or the way we eat, or it could be bigger things like politics, uh, the politics of the country we're in, or the religion or something. I think most of the time, we get used to our we get used to our own way of life and consider it to be normal it's only when we leave our culture and live in another one that we realize how different life can be and that maybe our way is not the only one living in a living in another country not just on holiday but permanently for at least a few months can be confusing it can be frustrating at times but it can also be exciting refreshing Inspiring and humbling. It can open your mind. I think everyone should experience living in another country for a while. Living abroad can make you more tolerant and patient with other people. It should, at least. I mean, that's the idea. Hopefully, it doesn't just confirm any xenophobic attitudes or prejudices that you had when you visited the country. I'm sure that that's the case sometimes, but for the most part, I like to think it helps us to realise that it takes all sorts to make a world. It's good to remember that our way of life, our habits and familiar routines, are not the only way to live. When we step out of our comfort zone, we get the chance to realise that we're not always right about everything and that there are other ways to live your life. Hopefully living abroad helps us helps to prevent us from getting too arrogant or big-headed like oh the rest of the world is stupid and my country is the best actually i think we feel this way more than we like to admit it means that we're more willing to see differences in the world as something to celebrate rather than something to fight about that's the idea of course that's the theory In reality, on a day-to-day basis, living abroad can be difficult, confusing, dangerous, infuriating, and hilarious. It takes a while to really get used to living in another country. It probably takes about a year to feel that you understand things, but really you never get completely used to it. It's a constant learning process, but it's good to keep learning. In my opinion, when we live abroad, certainly at the beginning, we learn about three things – about the new culture that we're living in, about the culture we've come from, and about ourselves. Culture shock. I've talked about this before. I don't really believe it's a shock. When it's bad, you feel frustrated with the other culture, or even angry because you see what they do as wrong or ridiculous. It can make you question yourself and make you feel pretty small. You might not even realise that you're experiencing culture shock. You might just feel a bit annoyed that everyone is apparently doing it all wrong. That's really common. These people are stupid, you might think. You make judgments. You might even offend people without realising it because you're not aware of little cultural rules that you're breaking. You might get offended yourself. It depends on the way, it depends on why you're there in the first place. So really it should be named culture frustration, culture rage, culture depression or culture neurosis. But, of course, none of these things are particularly catchy titles. Of course, culture shock can also be really great. When, it, when it's good, the feeling is pretty wild. It feels like a crazy adventure which sweeps you away. You can feel inebriated by the excitement and wonder of a new experience. It can be very liberating to be removed from the shackles and limitations of the culture you come from. Certainly, that's why a lot of people travel or decide to live abroad. Travel broadens the mind. I'm sure I don't need to convince you of that. But just in case, allow me to share a couple of sayings made by famous people on the subject of travelling, just so that you're absolutely sure that I am 100% right about this, as if there was any doubt about that. Um, Mark Twain, the famous American author, said travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Let me say that again, but slightly better. Mark Twain said, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. So what he means is that travel basically kills your prejudice, kills your bigotry, and kills your narrow-mindedness. Bigotry is a kind of um, sort of very um, narrow minded View of things that are different. So, if you kind of if you're racist or sexist or very old-fashioned in the way that you think, then you might be guilty of bigotry and narrow-mindedness. That just means you've got a very conservative view of the world rather than a kind of open-minded, liberal uh, approach. Um, Saint Augustine said, "The world is a book, and those who do not travel read only one page." I think that's pretty clear what that one means. Um, Samuel Johnson said, all travel has its advantages. If the passenger visits better countries, he may learn to improve his own. And if fortune carries him to worse, he may learn to enjoy it. Anyway, enough about all that. Let me tell you about my experiences in Paris. So people back in London, like on the telephone and stuff, keep asking me questions like, so how's Paris then? How's it going? What's it like living in Paris? Do you smell of garlic yet? Do you feel homesick? Is it different to the UK? Are you experiencing culture shock? How are you enjoying the food? What are the people like? Do they refuse to speak English to you even though they could if they wanted to? Have you got a job yet? Have you learnt French yet? What's it like learning a foreign language? Is it difficult to pronounce the words? Do people really say ooh la la and zutalo or even ho he ho he ho? I mean, do they? I wonder. What do all the buildings look like? Are they beautiful? Are people really fashionable and chic? Have you put on loads of weight because of all the rich buttery food you've been eating? Are waiters really rude to you in restaurants? Do people hate you because you're English? Have you managed to understand the ridiculously complicated metro system yet? Have you managed to get an apartment yet? Because apparently that's really hard if you don't have a bank account. Have you managed to get a bank account yet? Because apparently that's really hard if you don't have an apartment. What's it like driving in Paris? Is it strange driving on the other side of the road? Have you driven around the Arc de Triomphe? Is it as impossible and life-threatening as everyone says? What about getting a taxi? Apparently that's impossible. What about the nightlife? Have you been to the Moulin Rouge? Is it like that movie? You know the one—the one about the Moulin Rouge with uh, Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, have you have you been to the Moulin Rouge? Have you seen any sexy French movies yet? You know the the black and white arty ones in which people lie around on beds smoking and undressing. What are the girls like? You know, what are they like? Have you been to the Have you been up the Eiffel Tower? How long did it take? Did you walk all the way up? What's the view like? Have you been to Le Louvre? Did you see the Mona Lisa? Did she seem happy or unhappy to you or or, or somewhere in between? Have you had sex with Carla Bruni yet? Because everyone else has, apparently. Do they really eat snails and frogs' legs and loads of garlic? Does everyone drink champagne and red wine all the time? Have you started riding around on a bicycle yet, wearing a stripy top with a beret on your head, a moustache on your upper lip, a chain of garlic round your neck and some baguettes in the basket? Or is that just a cliché? In fact, what's it really like, Luke? What does it look like, Luke? Look, Luke, like, what's it, what does it, what's it like? What does it look like, Luke? I mean, do you like, love it a lot or a little? Please let us listen, Luke, to you like, letting us learn a lot about living in life in, I got that completely wrong. See, this is difficult because I wrote this earlier on. Okay. I wrote all this stuff because I wanted to do a really well-prepared episode of Luke's English podcast, but maybe, you know, I shouldn't try and write notes down because when I read a sort of script, somehow it seems a bit unnatural. Um, it doesn't seem to be like I'm really engaging with you. But anyway, there's not much more of this script left. Let me just try that, that second bit again. I'm sure that you'll forgive me. Just bear with me, etc., etc. So, what's it really like, Luke? What does it look like, Luke? Look, Luke, like, what does it like look like, Luke? Do you, like, love it a lot or a little? Please let us listen, Luke, to you, like, letting us learn a lot about living life in the French capital of Paris. Okay, let me try and deal with it all. Now, I recently noted down some thoughts on Paris and how it seems a bit different to life in London. So this section is not transcribed because I'm just talking off the top of my head. But below, you can see the notes that I used for this bit. It may contain some of the language that I used. Okay, so... I'm going off-script now. This bit isn't transcribed, which probably means it's going to sound a little bit more natural. Maybe slightly harder for you to understand, but, you know, let's make that sacrifice because it's better, isn't it, if it sounds authentic and natural. I think so. So, in no particular order, here are some notes in a little notepad, which I scribbled down um, just recently. Um, And so this is in no particular order. This is fairly random. So um, what does it look like? Well, I remember when I first arrived in Paris, I arrived in Gardenault station. That's the north station of Paris. And uh, it's not the most beautiful area of Paris. But nevertheless, um, I immediately got a sense of of the kind of atmosphere of the place. And um, it sort of struck me as being somehow very 1920s or very kind of old-fashioned. Um, it Just the the, the way that the bistros look with their, uh, you know, the, the front of the restaurants and bistros with the, the, the chairs, the, the, the beautifully sort of decorated chairs and tables um, uh, and the canopies um, that you find outside bistros and restaurants. When I see those things, it somehow strikes me as being untouched by time. I can imagine that... Those places looked exactly the same um, since the whenever, like the 1920s or even earlier than that. So you know, I can. It's very uh, evocative of kind of uh, the images of Paris that we that we've seen in like old movies or or paintings and things like that. Uh, So immediately you get a sense of this history. There's like a long history obviously in the in the buildings there, there are many very large grand looking buildings all over the city and there's there's a long history many many different sort of stories many different things have occurred here of course you know one of the big things was the french revolution at the end of the 19th century i think it was the end of the 19 1878 i think okay i have to do an edit here and uh, correct myself because uh, what i just said was completely wrong um The French Revolution actually happened uh, near the end of the um, 18th century, um, basically between 1789 and 1799, and uh, as you should know, really, it was a period of great social and political change in France that had a massive impact on French history and uh, an impact generally around the world. and that was when the monarchy in um, in France was um, kind of removed, and instead of a monarchy, it was re- it was replaced by uh, a republic. So basically, the royal family were taken and killed. Um, on I think the the storming of the Bastille or Bastille Day is the fourteenth of July. Uh, it's celebrated here in France. Um, as it's a kind of French Independence Day you might say you know know, the way they celebrate Independence Day in America well the French uh, Bastille Day is basically the the day on which they celebrate um, the end of the monarchy and the beginning of the French Republic as we know it uh, now so happened at the end of the 18th century just had to correct myself there because I couldn't allow myself to tell you something that was wrong should have checked it in advance but there you go. Like I said, I'm kind of new here. I'm new in town, so you've got to forgive me if I make the odd historical mistake. But I've corrected myself now, so everything's fine. Good. On with the show. There were there are a few sort of episodes in the in the revolution, um, but um, that's certainly one of the biggest differences. Um, in terms of the sort of constitution or, or or the way that the state is run in France, that is quite different to the UK because they don't have a royal family; it's a republic. Um, they actually um, there was a revolution and and uh, they took the royal family and chopped their heads off because they didn't really like them. Um, whether that's really, I mean, they 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 celebrate this, of course, on Bastille Day, um, and uh, of course, as you may know, they use the the guillotine and they got a little bit guillotine happy actually and sort of so any anyone that did, i i don't really know all the deep history of it but it seems that a lot of people just ended up getting their heads chopped off um did it fix all the problems i, I don't know but um i think it probably made a big difference but anyway the, the there's a great sense that uh, this is a republic and that it's a everyone is very much aware of their uh, their rights and their their sense of equality and uh, brotherhood and all that kind of thing. Um, that's the that's the idea. Whether on on a day to day basis when you're walking along the street, I don't know if people seem that much more uh, together or or, or um, if society seems that much more polite, uh, that much more fair or well balanced. I can't really see whether. France being a republic is clearly better than, um, let's say, England being a monarchy. I think in the end, it's still pretty much the same thing. Um, So I find that in in Paris, much of the city is very similar. I mean, that may be that I'm new to the place, but a lot of the streets seem to be really similar. They're very, very similarly designed. You get these long terraces these very large, um, imposing terraces uh, on these long avenues and and very grand-looking streets that have big monuments at the end, the, these, these avenues which were designed by um, uh, Hausmann. I've mentioned him before, this architect who kind of designed many of the streets in Paris. So it does have a kind of uniformity to it, um, which... And, and not just a uniformity in, in the facades of the buildings, but um, in in the sorts of shops and things that you find in the streets. I, 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 f- uh, I find that I get lost really easily in Paris. It could also be the the way that the streets are, are laid out. Um, it's not like a, a grid system, for example, as you get in Barcelona or, or many places in America. Um, and it... it, it you get these very long diagonal streets which um, all meet in these kind of um, uh, big um, circular junctions and these big circular junctions like the one that you get at um, the Arc de Triomphe have sort of seven or eight streets coming off at diagonal angles so the, the city's all seems to be all in diagonal streets which makes it pretty confusing for me Um, So I get lost easily. All the streets seem to have the same types of shop. There's always a cafe, a bistro, a tabac, which is a a tobacconist, a boulangerie and a Japanese restaurant. There's always a Japanese restaurant for some reason. They they love Japanese food here. Um, So whenever I'm walking around Paris with my girlfriend... Um, quite often we'll walk past a boulangerie and she'll go oh oh this is this is this is the best boulangerie in Paris Um, and then we'll end up down another street and she'll go no 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 this is the best boulangerie in Paris and as far as I can tell there's about sort of nine best boulangeries in Paris Um, uh, but certainly the 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 quality of the bread is very good Um, I mean compared to England the French bread, you know, baguettes and things, I mean, it's it might seem to be quite a basic, simple thing, but for me as an English person, the bread is like really good quality and really delicious. Uh, it's a bit of a luxury, but something that people here enjoy every day. In England, we're just used to the normal, everyday loaves of bread, which, you know, are not quite as soft and, uh, and delicious as, as you get here. You get them in. You get these baskets of bread on the table in restaurants. Um, bread, fresh, hot um, baguettes of bread from the local boulangeries and things. You actually can smell the the smell of cooking bread in the streets, and and other things like croissants and, and stuff like that. So, it's lovely. It's a, it's it's luxurious to eat such good quality bread and pastries. Um, a lot of it does seem to contain a lot of butter. I mean, croissants are just basically—it's—it's it's basically butter in in kind of um, solid form, as far as I can tell. I don't know how how they managed to get so much butter into these things, but I suppose that's the key to making them taste so good. But they—I don't think I could eat them every day. They—they're they're not really healthy enough. Um, certainly, the eating habits in um, in Paris are different to the eating habits in the UK. Um, I mean. You know, in the u k we're not exactly famous for our eating habits, are we? Well, we're famous for having bad eating habits or at least having bad food. but Paris, on the other hand, is famous for its cuisine and famous for having excellent food, of course, we all know that. but there you know there are certain things that are different about the way that they, let's say eat dinner in this country. Um, in the u k, it's quite common to have cheese. Uh, at the end, at the end of a meal. So you'd start um, with a like a starter of some kind, something savoury as your first course. The the main course then would be you know you know like sort of meat and vegetables or something. And then after that you'd have a dessert, something sweet, and you'd have coffee. And then right at the end you have cheese. Well, here in France, in Paris, it seems they start with an aperitif often, which will be kind of like a quite a sweet tasting. Uh, alcoholic uh, liqueur of some kind. Um, and then go on to the first course, which could be, you know, similar to the first course in the UK, really a kind of savory uh, uh, plate of, I don't know, it could be some pate or something like that. And then the main course, um, lots of things like lots of steak. I mean, they eat raw beef, steak tartare, which is basically, a, for me, it looks like just a load of like minced beef that that the chef forgot to cook but uh, no that's that's the correct way to eat it um here and it's kind of a something that people eat a lot just a plate of raw beef um um it's not really my cup of tea yet but I'm sure that I'll grow to like it um so the kind of Uh, main course obviously it's not just raw beef there's loads of different main courses lots of different delicious kinds of food and then um a dessert um and you have these very rich cakes and very delicious um desserts and so on and then after that um no no i've got it wrong the cheese comes before the dessert i've discovered This is from eating dinner at um, people's houses. They actually serve the cheese first. Um, Now, my girlfriend, who's French, was kind of very surprised to discover that uh, we have cheese at the end. And in in maybe some people's opinion, some French people's opinion, this makes the English strange. This is just one example of the little differences that uh, we notice when we you know live life in another country um yeah we have the cheese at the end in france they have the cheese before the dessert so in france it kind of goes it sort of goes um sweet savory 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 sweet so you have to end on something sweet you can't end on savory whereas in england um we do we end with the cheese sometimes um you know i'm splitting hairs really that's not a massive difference um now i know nothing about wine But um, it seems that most people here kind of have a fairly decent knowledge of wine and grape varieties and things like that. And when you um, when you order a wine in a restaurant, um, the waiter presents you with a very long wine list and you're supposed to very carefully choose which wine you'd like to buy. Whereas I'm just like, well, which one is the cheapest? You know, uh, I I don't really know very much about wine, Um, but, you know, I'm I'm. I hope to, to learn. I'm certainly going to practice. Um, cafe culture is um, is totally different to pub culture. Um, obviously, as you already know from previous episodes of Luke's English Podcast, when you go to the pub, you um, you go to the bar, and you, you, you have to approach the staff at the bar, and you get your f- drinks and your food there, and uh, you come back to the table. Whereas in Paris, you go and just sit down, and you let the waiter come and... Um, and uh, serve you so basically it's the responsibility of the waiter to know exactly what's going on the waiter should be able to observe who has just arrived and who's sitting at which table and what their orders are and things like that so you just go to a cafe and you just sit down and just relax and wait for the waiter to come and serve you which uh which is lovely um i mean i'm i'm really getting used to that now it's it's uh it's great to be able to just go to a cafe and just just sit yourself down on a on a at a table and just start watching the world go by while the waiter comes and you know drink brings you coffee or or um you know water or 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 a beer or something like that it's very pleasant when i first arrived though i didn't really know what i was doing you know i w- i would kind of avoid going to cafes because i was scared Scared that I would do something wrong And scared also that I would have to speak French Because that's, you know, it's slightly stressful for me My French is improving And I understand, of course, that for it to improve properly I need to put myself into these slightly stressful situations But I'm very very conscious of sort of breaking some little social rules Or very conscious of... uh, I don't know um coming coming across as rude, so you know it's a little bit stressful um, <clears throat> um, so i would I would kind of go to cafes and i'd and I'd sort of think can I really just sit down do I just sit at a table? Don't I have to like announce to the waiter that I've arrived and that I'm gonna be sitting over there um, y- you know it seems it, it seemed somehow inappropriate for me to just plonk myself down at a table and expect to be served you know uh but i'm getting used to the service it's um it's it's nice it's nice um it's quite common to kind of actually go and sit at the bar in a cafe and you get your coffee served directly and you just stand at the bar and you drink your coffee uh like that i see a lot of people in the mornings when they're in a bit of a rush they kind of managed to stop for a few minutes and just get a quick coffee and and it's a bit cheaper if you buy the coffee at the bar. Um the coffee is a little bit different here than it is in well in the UK I suppose and in America it's that sort of Italian style espresso coffee which is really good. Um and um drinking the drinking culture not coffee but drinking alcohol is a little bit different. Um there's less. It seems that there is less binge drinking um, now. In in the binge drinking is an expression that you might sort of read in the newspapers in the UK. Um, binge drinking means drinking a lot quite quickly in a fairly short period of time in order to get drunk. Um, and uh, a binge is when you you know drink or eat a lot of something in a short period of time. So you could do like a chocolate binge if you love chocolate and then you feel very guilty afterwards or or uh, or do some binge drinking that's where you go to the pub with your friends for a few hours and you drink lots um before the pub closes now maybe uh, well people say that binge drinking is a um is a huge public health issue in the UK because it it's very unhealthy and it you know costs the national health service a lot of money and that may well be true um part of the reason i think that uh, we have a binge drinking culture in England is that um, our pub opening hours are a little bit strange. That's certainly one of the complaints that people have when they come to the UK. They go, why do your pubs close at 11 o'clock? That's ridiculous. That's when, you know, we're we're ready to start drinking, not stop. Well, in England, I don't really know why the pubs close at 11 o'clock, but they do. Uh, Even though many of them have 24 hour uh, serving licenses they most of them still close at about eleven or twelve o 'clock as a result, perhaps what happens is that uh, people go to the pub and they drink quite a lot in quite a short period of time because they know that at eleven they won 't be able to get any more, so they kind of do all their drinking in just a few hours and then of course you you get people coming out onto the street on a Friday night at twelve o 'clock just completely pissed out of their minds. <laughs> getting into fights, causing trouble. It's total chaos in city centres um, uh, on a Friday night. But I don't get the impression it's the same here. The culture is slightly different. People don't seem to binge drink quite as much. I mean, people certainly drink, but they don't do it in the seemingly irresponsible way that we do in the UK. Um, they, uh, they, they seem to sit down and eat and drink at the same time, rather than in the UK, where people kind of will stand up in very crowded pubs drinking, uh, often um, missing out on their dinner and just going straight to the pub and just drinking all evening, very unhealthy. Whereas in France, people tend to sit down, they drink with their food, um, they you know they enjoy the savoring the taste of wine rather than just seeing it as something that they need to drink in order to get drunk um so that's pretty good that i think is pretty healthy of course i have seen french people getting really drunk at parties and things like that but it's not quite as common in my experience as it is in the uk it all seems a little bit more civilized perhaps champagne in france is cheaper than it is in the uk and and in the rest of the world so in in England, champagne is a luxury. It's the sort of thing that you only drink on special occasions, whereas here in Paris, it's more common to enjoy a glass of champagne. In fact, I've been to a couple of parties here where I've seen loads of bottles of champagne in um, in the bath. So they keep all the champagne in the bath covered in ice. Now, I don't think it's that common. My French friends tell me that it's not very common, but to be honest, I've been to four or five parties here, and at least two of those parties had bathtubs full of, sh- uh, of champagne. Um, so either I, I'm hanging out with uh, very decadent people, or it's it f- sort of more common to drink lots of champagne at a party than it is in the UK. Um, <clears throat> so let's see... Um, I've noticed that uh, often you find that water flows through the streets. So by this I mean that um, the gutters in the streets. The gutters are the the bits at the edge of the street um, between the pavement and the street, the gutter. That's where all the water will flow down. So for some reason, I don't really know why, perhaps if you're French or Parisian or or you know the answer to this, you can tell me why, but um, it seems in the afternoons often... um, you get lots of water flowing through the gutters. So you get these long streams of water flowing down the gutters in the streets, um, which is, it seems very clean. I suppose it's a way of cleaning the, the gutters out. Um, um, and um, it's quite nice to have all this flowing water around, and, unless, of course, you step in it, in, you know, in a pair of Converse All-Stars, in which you get, in which case you get very wet feet. But um, it's quite funny to see, or well, quite interesting to see, all this flowing water. And I think to myself, isn't that a huge waste of water? Um, but maybe in France or in Paris, you know, water, conversation, water conservation is less of an issue. In England, we um, seem to have to look after our water a lot more. We, we're very conscious of saving water, but maybe in France that's less of an issue. And it's not just in Paris that I've seen water flowing down the gutters of streets. Also, I've seen it in towns in the south of France when I've been there on holiday. In fact, I remember as a child, my family, we used to go to the south of France every year and we'd spend our summer holidays in little villages and towns in the south. And when they used to flow the the water through the gutters of the streets, my brother and I and my dad and my mum, would uh, Would play games, um, we would make these paper boats out of pieces of paper and then sail them down the uh, down the streets so seeing the water flowing through the streets it's kind of it creates a nice atmosphere it's, I suppose it cleans the the gutters and it reminds me of my childhood holidays in France. Uh, maybe one of the reasons that they flow water through the streets is because sometimes the streets are a little bit dirty. What I mean is there's quite a lot of dog turds. There are lots of dog turds on the street. Lots of dog poo. Um, I think you know what I'm talking about. Dog shit. Yeah. Of course, shit is the rude word. Dog poo. There's, There's quite a lot of dog poo on the streets. Now, that for me is slightly ironic considering the Buildings are so nicely presented. The people are very smart. They obviously care a lot about their appearance. And yet on the street, you get quite a lot of shit and piss as well. Um, It's not uncommon to find kind of urine stains on the pavement because, I don't know, homeless people, maybe, maybe homeless people decide that they can just urinate on the pavement. But I'm sure it's not just homeless people. I think it might be you know, not homeless people as well. Uh, Maybe on a Friday night, after a few drinks, they need the toilet, they just think, well, I'll just go right here in the street. Um, For me, that's quite, uh, as a a Brit, that's quite um, odd, because it's pretty rude or unacceptable to just sort of urinate in a public place like that, uh, and yet often on a Saturday morning, I'll go out onto the pavement and I'll see kind of peace, piss stains on the streets. Um, I don't know. Maybe if you've got to go, you've got to go, but um, it seems seemed a little bit strange for me. I haven't yet pissed in the street, but maybe you know the day will come when I when I do it myself, and then maybe that's when you know I, I will finally have sort of. Um, being initiated into real Paris life Um, so yeah dog poo on the street so you've got to watch out when you're walking around if you don't watch where you're going you might step in a turd so you know be careful of that Um, it doesn't happen very often mainly because I think I'm, I'm quite cautious quite vigilant and I manage to avoid stepping in the poo um, but maybe that's why they they kind of wash the streets a bit they need to wash away all the crap <laughs> i don't know um, um well i don't know i've i i have i am yet to see um kind of poo floating down the street but you know i'm sure it's going to be entertaining when i do see that uh yes um yeah so tramped tramps piss or other people's piss i don't know Every now and then, you do get a lingering smell of urine in the air, but uh, that's balanced out by the lovely smells of, you know, perfume and and fresh bread. Uh, But you know, it's not uncommon to get a little whiff of uh, of urban urine. Let's call it. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Um, let's see, what else? Um, cars, driving, driving here. I noticed that cars tend to bump into each other a bit more. I think this is because parking spaces are really uh, few and far between. They're really limited. There, there isn't much space to park your car. So when you do find even a tiny space, you squeeze all the way into it. And um, even if that means like, bumping into the car in front of you or in, into the car behind you it seems f- to be fairly common to like bump to even you know for cars to press bumpers against each other in order to fit into a tight space in in london if you so much as touch another person's car with your car then you could be in serious trouble and you if you scratch someone else's car then you 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 know you're you 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 sort of feel obliged to leave your telephone number or to apologise in some way or to just escape the scene of the crime as quickly as possible. Whereas in Paris, it seems to be sort of more of an everyday thing that you might bump into people's cars. I am not a car owner myself, so I don't really know. uh, But um, uh, maybe French people, Parisian people, get equally as angry if someone bumps into their car as as a british person would it's it's just that it happens more often because there is less space for for parking here i don't know but i've certainly seen cars bumping into each other a bit more and i i always thought is that strange that's strange isn't it are they just bad drivers are they just inconsiderate or is it just that there is less space i haven't really worked that out yet um but driving for me is quite a challenge in paris um mainly because uh Obviously, in the UK, we drive on the we drive on the left, so the car goes on the left side of the road. Uh, whereas in Paris, like in most other countries in the world, yes, I admit it, most of the other countries in the world drive on the right. Uh, in, in Paris, they do the same thing. They drive on the right. Um, you sit on the left of the car, um, but you drive on the right. Um, so that's a bit strange for me to get used to, because obviously I'm used to sitting on on the right hand side of the car, uh, controlling the gear stick with my left hand. But when I'm in France, I sit on the left side of the car, control the gear stick with my right hand, and I drive on the right side of the road. It's very complicated, I know. But how it feels is that when I'm in the driving seat, it feels like there's too much car on the right the car is really big on the right and not enough car on the left. So I'm very conscious that somehow I'm going to, you know, crash into something on the right side of the right hand side of the car. Um, so that's pretty weird. Plus also just generally, it seems a bit more chaotic to drive in Paris. Um, I'm really not used to it at all. Uh, one of the worst experiences was when uh, I was driving my girlfriend's dad's car so that was already pretty stressful. But not only that, We I was driving into Paris from the countryside. So um, driving into Paris generally means you have to drive around the ring road. There's a uh, a big road that goes all the way around Paris and it's called the Boulevard Peripherique. And uh, it's a ring road that goes around Paris and it's very busy and it's kind of the drivers can be a bit aggressive and uh, it's a bit chaotic trying to find the right exit and so on you've got to be very vigilant and very careful Um, but the most frightening moment for me was when I was entering the peripherique from a slip road so a slip road is the road that you use to get onto another big road in this case the boulevard peripherique the ring road going around Paris Uh, entering From a slip road onto a a motorway in England is pretty clear because the slip road goes all the way down, and then it joins the motorway with its own lane. It it, you carry on driving on your own lane, and after about a kilometre, that lane gently feeds into the rest of the traffic. So I'm used to like driving down the slip road, and you keep going along the slip road for a long time, um, and then you gently join the traffic here in in paris there's no slip road you just go the 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 road the well there's the let me explain myself clearly um there is a slip road but it doesn't continue for a very long time it just joins it just throws you directly into the oncoming traffic so that was a big shock for me on my first time driving on the wrong side of the road um, in my girlfriend's dad's car You know, very conscious that I shouldn't dr- uh, Damage it My girlfriend in the passenger seat She doesn't drive So she's completely oblivious To the challenge To the stress that I'm under You know, I'm there like a sort of uh, I'm there like a pilot Trying to crash land a plane And she's just, you know Enjoying a nice drive in the, in, 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 the, in Paris So I'm there kind of sweating Trying not to have a nervous breakdown While uh, I drive onto the Boulevard Péripherique and um no you know no long slip road. So I'm driving along and I think, oh it'll be alright, I'll just go along the slip road and then I'll join the traffic. But then at the last second I realised there's no more slip road Traffic. So um that was a pretty frightening moment. I had to slam on the brakes, I had to hit the brakes, and I was scared that someone was gonna crash into the back of me. It was exciting, ladies and gentlemen, but you'll be glad to know that You know, I did it, of course. You know, I managed to do it. I got onto the boulevard periphery. I made it round. I got off. The car was undamaged. Um, I I mean, I lost a a few hairs in the process. But um, you live and learn, basically. So driving is pretty strange uh, sometimes. Uh, Motorists don't always stop. There's... Yeah, it, it takes a bit of getting used to, let's say. Um... I tend to find just generally in the street people people stare a lot more than they do in London by stare I mean they kind of look at you a lot more I, I I feel more self-conscious when I go out into the street in Paris I feel kind of aware that people are maybe checking me out that they're looking at me and I don't think it's just that I'm paranoid I genuinely think people tend to look at each other or look at their look at each other's clothes or appearance a lot more here in Paris than they do in London you could you know it could be rude sometimes I think it's rude frankly when for example I'm standing waiting for a train and I realize that the, the person next to me is just quite rudely just looking at me looking at my clothes um, maybe he do, maybe they don't consider it to be rude but for me that's I think it's pretty rude to stare um, and I encounter that more here in Paris than I do back home in London. Maybe I kind of stick out like a sore thumb. Maybe people can't help looking at me because they think, who is this weird freak um, who is dressed in such a um, such a kind of shabby, unconventional way? Although, to be honest, I'm not really unconventional. But um, maybe people just check out my clothes. Maybe that's just what people do. In, in Paris, but it seems a bit strange to kind of stare um, like that at, at people. Um, but I think people do take m- quite a lot of care over their appearance here. People, in general, I think, are really quite chic. They dress very well, uh, they dress smart, they wear these nice silk uh, scarves, they tend to wear sort of smarter shirts and trousers. Um, people are very well dressed, so it's not really a myth. I think it's true that Parisians, they like to be well-presented. And so, you know, when you step out in public, um, it's the done thing to, um, to dress yourself up, to, to look nice, to look presentable. Um, but does that give people justification to stare at each other? I don't know. Um, I'm certainly learning to get used to that. Um, I don't know if it's my imagination, but sometimes I feel that people seem a little bit more rude in public. Maybe they're just more direct. And in London, people are a bit sort of reserved. But I get the impression that people just are a bit more rude. You know, they, as I said, they sh- they stare a bit more. They they don't seem to be aware of their own personal space in the same way that we are in London. Maybe it's just that Londoners are, are a bit uptight. Um, but I think that in London we we're quite careful not to bump into each other we give each other a bit more personal space um in crowded um places like on the underground we we're very conscious of like trying to get out of each other's way i think certainly on the underground people are quite considerate they they don't you know, they try to avoid bumping into each other. They try to avoid getting in each other's way. But I find here in Paris, people tend to just bump into each other more. They they seem to be slightly less aware of, of their personal space. And so you, you tend to find people pushing and shoving and bumping into each other a little bit more over here. Um, yeah, um, uh, let's see. Um, in London, I think that people on one hand are, are more polite and considerate and on the other hand you get the sense that people just don't really care about you at all which i which you know i, I quite like you know i've grown to like that the sense that you've got a bit more anonymity and uh, if you want to dress differently if you want to be a bit eccentric or slightly odd looking then you can and people aren't really going to judge you for it and in fact they they kind of like yeah do do whatever you want you can dress however you like i don't really care that's the feeling you get in London. Whereas in Paris, it seems that, you know, it feels like a smaller community. It, and and it feels like people um, are slightly more judgmental uh, of, of your appearance. That's the impression I get. Um, I think people, maybe people in Paris are, I think they're a little bit more conservative, I must say. Um, certainly about clothing and things like that. And if you if you dress a little bit weirdly or differently, I think you're going to get people are going to stare at you, and, and that feels a bit unfriendly at times. Um, I mean, it's not a big problem for me because I I don't really like to dress that strangely. I'm not a goth or or a punk or anything like that. But um, certainly, I get the impression that people tend to dress slightly more conservatively here. Um, but very smart, very chic, very fashionable. In fact, I think being chic is a kind of a way of life. Uh, It's almost as if the kind of grand elegance of Paris, the beautiful presentation and elegance and sort of formal presentation of Paris is reflected in its people, who also are quite sort of slightly formally presented and quite nicely dressed. Obviously I can't make generalisations There are plenty of people in Paris who don't dress formally You know, they wear the jeans and t-shirts, uh, trainers and that sort of thing But generally speaking there is a sense that that people are uh, quite fashion conscious um, Quite uh, smart, quite chic And well, Paris is famous for this That's, It's famous for its its fashion And its, its, um, its fashion brands and boutiques and things like that Um, I'm not sure if it's just that I don't understand the culture very well, but people seem to be slightly less humorous or maybe slightly less ready for humour. In London, Um, I get the impression that people are always kind of people use humor they use self-effacing humor irony they make jokes about themselves as a way of sort of getting rid of any social tension or awkwardness whereas in Paris people are just a bit more ready to you know have a conflict if it's if that's the way it is like if you if you bump into someone in the street then rather than kind of going oh sorry my mistake it tends to be like you know get out of the way you idiot um putain by the way is a a word that i hear every day and it's a it's a rude french word i think i'm not sure what it means I think, putain, I think it means bitch or something like that anyway it's just like it's a bit like the equivalent of saying the f word and but people say it all the time without even realizing it you know putain, you know it's it's very common i haven't quite mastered it yet by the way um but I don't know if it's fair for me to say that people seem less humorous. I think it's more a case that in London people use humour all the time. You know, it's like people are always ready to be to make fools of themselves or to use self-effacing humour to be a bit of a to be to joke around a lot. Uh, and I, I certainly don't believe that the that the Parisians are uh, against using humour. It's certainly not the case. I think it's just reserved for 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 certain situations, for example, waiters in restaurants they they are often really quite humorous and I've, I noticed that waiters tend to banter with customers in a humorous way, and that 's when that 's where the humor is, or, or maybe when you go into a shop, the shopkeeper might be a bit humorous with you, but um, it 's not the same kind of ironic uh, um, deadpan kind of humor that you get in in England. In fact, in, in, in France, it seems that when someone tells you a joke, they kind of show you that it's a joke by laughing when they make the joke as well. So they share the joke with you. So it's like, oh, I'm, now I'm telling you a joke, you know, like that. They kind of slap the knee and show everyone that this is a joke, you know. Whereas in England, because humour is always there to an extent, um the delivery of a joke might be less obvious and what often happens is that two people who are sharing a joke they don't necessarily laugh about it they just carry on speaking in an ironic way and just continue the joke because that's sort of more fun you don't actually have to announce that it's a joke you just um, you just continue living in, and, and continue the, the jokey conversation as if it's just a normal conversation um what does that mean well who knows um i'm sure we'll, we'll let's leave that up to the sociologists and the cultural theorists and things about exactly what uh english humor really means and perhaps i can try and cover it uh in a podcast episode at some point in the future um so it seems that people are less ironic less deadpan when they are funny it's more obvious that they're being funny and, uh, there are, and and the, the humour tends to happen in certain places. Maybe in France they put less value on humour. In, in the UK, we value humour a lot. It's like a really important part of our daily lives and we, we like to go around making each other laugh. We, we, we love comedians and we, we have comedy shows all over the city on every night of the week, whereas here in Paris, comedy is, is less, uh, less widespread I've seen stand-up comedy, French stand-up comedy on TV, and there is, well, there isn't very much of it. It's not like in London, where it's just every channel there's a comedy show on. In um, in France, there is comedy. But um, it's more like, it's more like sort of um, drama, in a way. It's more like comic drama, rather than out-and-out stand-up comedy. Anyway, um, as I said, I don't have all the answers, if you feel like you understand french or parisian culture better than me please do leave a comment just um you know what do you think and and even um if if you recognize any of these these things in your country cuz obviously i've got listeners from all over the world um leave a comment as well you know is, does parisian french culture sound similar to yours or or different in what way um let's see um yeah, it seems that uh, in France people are a bit more formal. For example, when you meet someone for the first time, it's quite customary to say bonjour, monsieur," uh, "hello, sir." You know, um, uh, je, uh, "je suis enchanté de vous connaître," which is like, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I'm enchanted to uh, to to meet you. Uh, rather than in England, it's like, "Hi, how's it going? Wow, great! It's really nice to meet you." We're a bit more informal. Whereas uh, in in Paris people are slightly more formal. Um, I mean, maybe the example I've given there is, you, if you're French, you might be thinking, "Oh, that's not true." We we just say "Oh bonjour" and or "salut" or something. But um, just to give you an example, when I met my girlfriend's French parents, I uh, you know my girlfriend said to me, "Look, you gotta you gotta say." You've got to introduce yourself in the right way. You've got to say bonjour monsieur to my dad. You have to call them vous at the beginning. You know you know, in French they have the vous form and the tu form. Vous is the formal you and tu is the informal you. Of course in English we just have you um, for both. So my the, the impression was that um, I, I had to be a bit more formal when I met my girlfriend's parents. Whereas when my girlfriend met my parents, she was saying, oh, you know, what should I say? How shall I introduce myself? And I said to her, just say hi, hi, and call my, you know, parents by their first names. Hi there. How, you know, oh, it's really nice to meet you. And she felt quite uncomfortable about this idea that she could be quite so informal on, uh, on a first meeting. Um, so I think that's an example of how the French are slightly more formal than the English. I think also the language, French language, um, is similar to English in, in many ways, um, often because of all the Latin words that we share. So Latin-oriented words. So it's the Latin words, in my opinion, which are usually the more formal ones. And in English, we have things like phrasal verbs and, and, and other expressions, which tend to be less formal. Uh, but in French... They use what in English is the more formal style more than than we do. So it feels like French is a more formal culture in that way. Um, obviously, once once you're once you get to know French people and you become their friends, then you know there's no need for formality anymore. But I get the sense that at the beginning, there's a bit more of a formal protocol than there is in in England. Um, Let's see other differences. Well, of course they sp- well they speak a different language. You know that's a big difference. Um, let's see sirens. The sirens are different. Um, I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. By sirens, I mean the noises that police cars and ambulances make. So in the UK, um, police cars sort of go do uh, do 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 that kind of thing, right? Whereas in Paris, they kind of go do 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 do. Anyway, it seems like a small difference to me. It, it, sorry, it might seem like a small difference to you. But, you know, when you're used to hearing these sounds of the city, and then in France they, they have like a different sound, it feels different. It feels a bit like uh, the, the French sirens are like a melody of some kind. In fact, maybe the best way uh, to express this is if I let Bill Bailey, the English comedian, explain it. So now you're going to hear Bill Bailey talking about sirens in the UK and sirens in France, and he actually um, he actually explains uh, he explains it by demonstrating the sirens on his keyboard, and he then goes into a kind of French song and he he um, he sings some French lyrics. So have a listen to Bill Bailey talking about the difference between police sirens or ambulance sirens in the UK and ambulance sirens in French. I'll explain, uh, I'll translate the lyrics of the song which he sings in French uh, afterwards. Um, Let's see. By the way, Bill Bailey's French, I'm sure, is not perfect French. It's a kind of English approximation of French. But uh, anyway, I will explain it to you afterwards if you don't understand the French. So, let's see. Here we go. Bill Bailey and Ambulance Silence. Silence. See, everything about European life suggests a much more laid back lifestyle. Even things like sirens, you know, here are sirens very, very functional. That's sort it of says, come on, come on. Out of the way, out of the way. It's more than my job's worth. <laughs> Which to me denotes disappointment <laughs> Interestingly you never even go the other way, do you? Yeah, we'll do that. Here he comes up. Well, there he goes, Because that'll be defined the laws of physics, wouldn't it? That'll be an ambulance attending an emergency in another dimension. Here, very functional. European sirens, a lot more lyrical, aren't they? It's like, yes, there is an accident, but let's enjoy the ride. In fact, the French ones are like this. That's just the bit you hear as it goes past. If you listen to it all down the street, it's like this. (laughs) Attention! Nous sommes blessés, nous avons un homme, il s'appelle Jean-Michel, sa jambe est cassée avec une jeune fille, elle s'appelle Gisèle, c'est si belle, il montait dans un arbre pour faire l'amour. Il adortait. La position missionnaire. C'est populaire. Il est tombé, sa jambe est cassée. Attention! Okay, that was Bill Bailey there talking about sirens. Uh, you can see the YouTube video for that clip on the website, of course, if you want to. Now, let me just uh, explain what he said there. I mean, what, I'm sorry, what he was singing, because obviously he was singing in French, and I expect most of you don't speak French. So he was saying, attention, we are injured. We have a man. He's called Jean-Michel. His leg is broken. With a young girl, she's called Giselle. She's so beautiful. They climbed up a tree to make love. They adopted the missionary position. It's popular. He fell. He broke his leg. Attention. So that's it. I mean, it's um, in French, obviously, it sounds a bit better. So that's what he was singing. Uh, So, yes, the sirens sound a bit different. Um, Fine. I think we've dealt with that one. Uh, What else? The buildings are very grand and beautiful. Yes, the interiors are very lovely and gorgeous and so on. Um, I think... Think that the flats, the um, the accommodation is really good standard. It seems that the accommodations are of a really good high quality. A lot of them have really lovely wooden floors. The um, uh, just generally they they they're very well presented in my opinion. Um, Paris in general is smaller than London, so for me it feels like a it feels a bit more like a town in a way, because um, I mean even today I walked from. The centre of of the city back to to where we're where we're living, and it didn't really take me that long. Whereas in London, if you walked from the centre to like the um, residential areas, then you know it would take you an hour or more in many cases. So London is huge, really. Paris seems to be smaller. Maybe it's just because um, real Paris, genuine Paris, is only. Uh, the sort of main central area. In fact, many people live in what's called the suburbs all the way around Paris. And then outside of that, you've got some really like rough areas. So Paris is weird because um, it's quite difficult to live in the centre of Paris, actually. You need you need to be able to like afford quite expensive rent and all these sorts of things. It's really hard to to find accommodation. So what happens is Many people who can't afford to live in the centre get pushed out to the edges of the city. And even there are some areas around the outskirts of Paris where there are lots of kind of very poor people living in quite bad conditions. I haven't really seen that for myself, but that's what I've been told anyway. Um, the feeling in town is, well, it feels a little bit more chilled out sometimes. It's kind of a bit more laid back. Um, except obviously at rush hour when it's, it's really hectic and chaotic. Um, uh, I'm not completely sure about the music yet. I haven't really investigated music in France. Obviously, France has got its own musical traditions, the sort of chanson, uh, traditional French songs and so on. But it seems, I, I, I may be wrong, but it seems to have a less diverse musical heritage than London obviously it's got the opera house and all that sort of thing but London's got its opera houses too and its classical music uh, but London also has all, all of those modern musical cultures associated with it you know the 60s music the sort of all of the British bands that came out of London during the 1960s um, all of the British bands that that used London as their base. People like the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the Who, the Small Faces, and Jimi Hendrix even, even though he was American. A lot of these bands were based in London. Then, of course, you've got the sort of Jamaican parts of, the Caribbean parts of London, which give it that kind of Jamaican reggae influence to to London. You also associate punk with with London and many other types of music too. Um, Whereas France it's it's less internationally famous for its music maybe because of the language thing you know maybe it's just because the the language of of modern pop music is english and and so naturally a lot of that's going to come out of out of london um um but i have been to some live music venues here in paris and they do some really great live music so you know, maybe you, maybe you just have to look a little bit harder before you find the musical culture here. Um, obviously, there's jazz. There's a culture of jazz in France, which is quite traditional. And, and they have these kind of caves in the centre of, of town, these jazz clubs in the caves, the catacombs under under uh, the street. And they're really atmospheric and really great places to go and see live jazz and to dance to, to jazz. It's very, very good fun. Um, let's see. There isn't very much curry In France, obviously, uh, Paris is passionate about its own food, and it has you know some international foods, you know, uh, uh, African food and uh, uh, Japanese food, as I've mentioned, Chinese food and things like that. But there's not so much Indian food. And um, in London, obviously, we've we've got like very old old connections with india and as a result we have many many indian restaurants in in london and as a londoner you know i love indian food i love curry and i would eat curry regularly so i miss having curry Um, i'm yet to find a really good curry house in paris with that serves a really good really hot spicy Jalfrazy or something like that so i'm looking forward to having a curry i mean i'm sure i'll find one in paris eventually but it might I might have to go back to London before I can get like a really good hot curry again. Um, it's also harder to find a really good cup of tea here. Um, the milk is slightly different. It's par- pasteurised in a different way. Um, and so, and also it's not very common to drink tea with milk. You might think, oh, tea with milk? Are you mad? But no, I'm not mad. I'm definitely... Thanks very much for oh, this hello. Luke's English podcast. We're not finished yet, Luke. For more information, see that just shows how how long this episode is because uh, clearly longer than the previous episode because it's not the first time that that's happened. Um, I've I've been talking for so long that uh, I've reached the ending jingle from the previous episode. Um, I really have to wrap this episode up. But, you know, I've got so many things to say. I've just got so many things to say about life here in Paris. I realise that sometimes episodes of Luke's English Podcast are very long. But, you know, I made the decision quite a long time ago that it's okay to to, to do longer episodes of the podcast sometimes because that's the joy of podcasting. That's a ma- That's the magic of it. You don't have to listen to it all in one go. You can listen to a bit, stop, do something else, wait a couple of days if you want, come back to it, listen to the rest... Especially if you're using iTunes, because iTunes is clever. Because with podcasts, it it will, it will, when you stop it, it knows when you stopped it, and and it'll come back to that position again. So, you know, it's all right. I, I guess this is just going to be a longer one. Uh, more is more, not not less, as we've already established in previous episodes. So I'm going to keep going. It's 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 a little bit harder to get a good cup of tea, in my opinion. I mean, a good cup of Eng- English tea. Um, that's like a strong black tea with uh, some some milk um, just the way I like it but I can do that at home I've got some milk here I've got a teapot I brought some tea with me from England you see I'm still utterly English at heart because you know I can't live without my cups of tea Um, so slightly harder to get cups of tea the underground the metro system I find it baffling and confusing the map seems to be really difficult to understand. I'm sure it's not really that difficult to understand, but um, I don't know. It's it seems pretty mind blowing to me. Uh, I'm maybe it's just because I'm used to looking at the London Underground map, and that seems so clear to me, and the French one is just like looking at a ball of string or something. It's it's uh, it's really difficult to get my head around, but I'm getting there slowly but surely. Um, so the, the the Metro system, hmm it's great, of course. I love it because it's really quick. It takes you across town really fast and it's really, really good. It's really efficient. But I have to say, I don't think it has the same character or same kind of personality that the London uh, Underground does. Obviously, the London Underground is, yeah, it might be a less spacious, true, because the tunnels it uses are tend to be smaller and the trains are a little bit smaller but um i find the paris metro to be a little bit dark and a bit kind of gloomy and i know i'm not the first to say this it does smell of pee quite a lot uh, i'm not the first person and i won't be the last person to say that frankly stinks of piss sometimes and i don't really know why you know, is is that because French people like to urinate on the underground? Is that why? Or is it because uh, tramps, homeless people find their way into the stations? And even then, why are they pissing in the station as well? I don't get it. Who decided that the metro system was an appropriate place to, to urinate? I mean, I don't get it. I don't really know what is that. And I'm not even sure if that's the only reason why it smells. Maybe there's... Maybe it's because it's close to the sewage systems and so sometimes the smell comes through. But it, you know, I think it does smell a bit. It's not that bad. It's not always that bad. But there are times when you definitely get a sense of like, whoa, that smells bad. Why does that smell so bad? I don't know. I'm not saying that the underground doesn't smell sometimes. It does too. And, you know, the underground is definitely pretty dirty. But the Paris Metro is consistently smelly. You have to admit, French people you have to admit it's true um I don't really know why I think also it's you know Parisian people complain about that too I think it's one of the most common complaints that people have in my experience right I've I'm nearly finished here um okay so yes I've mentioned before that people can seem a little bit judgmental um Maybe that's just the the way that they come across to me as an English person. They they can seem a little bit aloof, you know, a little bit standoffish, a little bit arrogant. That can that they're kind of quite famous for, infamous for, for seeming to be a little bit arrogant or a little bit of um, I don't know, I don't know really how to describe it. A little bit judgmental or pretentious. But in my experience, when you meet French people properly when you meet them on a in a in a a friendly way that they're absolutely lovely and they they, you know i've all of the people i've met so far all the people i've made friends with have just been really really nice and sweet people um yet there is that sense of there being slightly unfriendly atmosphere sometimes maybe it's just because i I, i'm not speaking french very well yet and uh, i mean some people say that in france they don't like to speak english and that that they will refuse to speak English to you, um, if, you, if, if, you if you go up to them and say, oh, excuse me, can you tell me how to get to the, the, the river? And they will kind of go, oh, je ne comprends pas, you know, when they actually do speak English. In my experience, they don't do that. And a lot of people um, will speak English to me <clears throat> even when I make an effort to speak French to them. And they're just like, oh, come on, I'll speak English to him um so i find that people are genuine generally pretty friendly i mean if basically if you're nice to them then they'll be nice back to you it's no good just going up to them and expecting them to speak english um when you know you're in their country of course they're gonna then they're not gonna be that uh friendly towards you in that situation uh but if you if you kind of maybe try and speak a bit of french first and then you know, they, they, they might try and help you by speaking English. You kind of, it's give and take, isn't it? I mean, my French is not quite good enough yet. So a lot of the time I speak a bit of of French and then the conversation breaks down and the person kind of decides, okay, I think now is probably a good moment for me to, to start speaking, uh, to start speaking English to this guy because his French is awful. That's probably what they're thinking. Um, getting an apartment—I've mentioned the process is very complicated. There's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape. It seems that landlords, before they will accept a tenant, need to check absolutely every single aspect of your personal uh, and private uh, history. You know, they need to know exactly where you're from, what you do, how much money you've got in your bank account, how much money you used to have in your bank account, how much money you're going to have in your bank account. They need Need copies of your contract, they need copies of your bank account details, they need absolutely everything to make sure that you will uh, pay them on time. Um, so, they're, they're, the process of getting an apartment can be very, very complicated because of all of the, 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 the hoops, all of the bureaucratic hoops that you have to jump through. Um, let's see, um, but you know, the light. The light here is beautiful. When the sun shines in the morning, um, when there's a clear day, it's absolutely beautiful light. And it, it's genuinely stunning sometimes. I can stand at the top of, for example, Boulevard Mouth um, Sherb and look down the street and... And it's stunning, it's beautiful, these tree lined boulevards with these grand buildings on either side and often big landmarks and the Eiffel Tower in the distance. I mean it is a stunningly beautiful place to be. The colour of the stone that's used here in Paris, places like Jardin de Luxembourg, which is absolutely beautiful park. I mean it's it, it really is one of the world's most beautiful cities. It's it's a fantastically gorgeous place. Sometimes it feels a little bit imposing, these very big Um, building facades with their big grand doorways. It can feel like you're very small, you know, you just feel insignificant um, compared to these huge uh, grand uh, buildings. Um, So, yeah, it can make you feel a little bit insignificant at times, but generally it's, it's, it's very beautiful. I find that as an English person, when I go to France, I find I really become aware of how awkward and reserved I am as a Brit. You know I realize that you know i 'm really, really English, and I start to get all awkward and I act like hugh grant when i when i don 't understand something, whereas the French are just a lot more direct, they just say exactly what they think, whereas i 'm kind of going um well i'm you know terribly sorry um and they you know they're just a bit more a bit more direct about it. I find that um the, that kind of culture shock experience has two sides one side is that you end up judging the new culture you 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 sort of judge the culture and you sort of say oh this is strange or well, that's wrong these people are weird uh or the other, the flip side is that you judge yourself and you end up feeling kind of um uh, a bit neurotic and you think oh i'm i must be making a fool of myself i'm an idiot i'm getting it all wrong um uh, so it's kind of when it's bad it kind of swings between that kind of like oh these people are idiots um, between that feeling and, and, oh, my God, I'm an idiot, you know. Uh, but it's all part of the fun and all part of the learning process. Um, okay. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I feel like I don't fit in, like I'm just sticking out like a sore thumb. I'm the English guy, Mr. Bean in Paris kind of thing, you know, making a fool of myself, getting everything wrong, uh, getting lost on the metro system, um, trying to understand where it, where I am in the middle of town. Um You know, I feel a bit like an alien sometimes. I'm scared of making a fool of myself when I talk to people in French. I'm worried about coming across as rude or stupid. Um, You know, but generally I I often feel like, you know, Luke, you should feel lucky to be here because um, it really is an amazing place to be. Um, And and quite often I just, I catch myself in in Paris and I just sort of realise, oh my God, I'm living in Paris. I can't believe this. Here I am on the, you know, um and and i'm living a parisian life and it's it really is fantastic so um you know i feel lucky to be able to have this opportunity and i would say to you if you if you're thinking about coming to paris then i i would i would recommend it i think it's a, a stunning place and it's it's a very interesting place of course it's different it's always going to be different in another country but that is all part of the fun of um of living in uh, in another country for a while and visiting. Um, Yeah, this is at least an hour and a half now. Um, I'm sure I'm going to come back to the subject of uh, French again. Probably I'll make some reflections on the language, like learning French and speaking French. So I, 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 I think reflecting on my experiences of learning French could be quite interesting for you, because you can see how much it's similar to your experiences of learning English. Um, in fact, I welcome your advice on how I should learn French. But I, I will be applying my my um, approach to to language learning, which is to kind of basically just just try try to express myself as much as I can. Just try and work things out from context. Just practice. Try and imitate the locals. Um, obviously, it's it's more. A Much more complicated process than that But uh, I've run out of time In this episode um, So I certainly hope that was interesting I hope that I didn't bore the pants off you By just rambling on and on In my inimitable fashion But I, I do hope that You've managed to gain something From listening to this um, Well of course you did You've just listened to an hour and a half Of spoken English um, And um, But as well as, as, as well as the English listening practice and the vocabulary that uh, hopefully you will have picked up from this, I hope also you gain some sense of, of, of what um, it is like to, to go and live in another country or to go specifically and live in Paris. Um, if you're thinking of visiting, I would say go for it it's a really fantastic place. Uh, that's all for this episode of the podcast. Uh, I've got you know, plenty of things to say to you and lots of other ideas for podcasts in the future. And hopefully, as I said before, I'm going to have a bit more time to devote to doing these episodes. So watch this space. Thanks again, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to Luke's English podcast. We're now on 1 hour and 29 minutes and 10 seconds of the podcast. I wonder if I can keep it going until 1 hour and 30 minutes. I I don't think I will. I think I'm just going to stop at 1 hour and 29 minutes and 29 seconds. Let's see if I can do that. So, just drawing the whole podcast to a close on the 129.29 second mark. Here it is. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks very much for listening to Luke's English Podcast. Don't forget you can visit teacherluke.podomatic.com for more information.